Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us tonight, Lord, as we look to your word. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you move in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we know your presence and your power. And Lord, that we look into your face and that we see the reality of what the cross means to us. And Lord, as we go to the table tonight, Lord, may we go with hearts that are full with the fact that you did indeed love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Three basic uh, thoughts here. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Jesus Christ took our sin upon his shoulders on the tree. Um, You and I deserve the punishment of death. We deserve hell. But Jesus stepped in and and, and he took our sin upon his shoulders. Now, when he went to the cross, he went to the cross with your sin and with my sin. He took our place. He stood in our place uh, on that day. This morning I alluded to the the idea that if we had a book of our sins that were written down, and just, 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 just imagine it again with me for a moment. <clears throat> um, what, what would be in uh, that book of sins that you've committed over a lifetime? Because none of them were glossed over. None of them didn't matter. None of them were, were just cast to one side. All of them were <clears throat> paid for in full. He paid for every sin you've ever committed. He paid for every sin you're ever going to commit. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Jesus took upon himself your sin. And if it were a book, it'd be heavy. Let me give you some of the things that might be in that book. Be a record of every rotten thing you've ever said, every unkind word you've ever spoken, every mean thought, every lustful fantasy, every evil imagination, all your bad attitudes from the day of your birth till the day of your death, I mean, it would go on and on and on. All of it's there. See, we've got to understand that he knows us personally. And he knows our sin. Because he paid for it all. Individually. And we say, no, 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 it was just an atonement. It was just for, for mankind. No, it wasn't. It was for you. If you were the only one that had ever been born, Jesus would still have had to take your sin upon his shoulders and pay the price for you. Yeah, when it came to the cross, he could have balked. Because remember, Jesus had a free will too. He wasn't an automaton that had to do it. He had a free will. He he could have prayed and had the Father send legions of angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he didn't. He knowingly took your sin upon his shoulders and he went to the cross. He paid the price for your sin. He took your punishment in your stead he stepped into the breach to suffer for you. There's a story told, it's a very poignant story, about the, <clears throat> um, about the, <clears throat> the, 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 the miracle on the, on the River Kwai. And <clears throat> it was a Japanese concentration camp. They were, they were building a bridge. And uh, one day, this unit <clears throat> had a, a tool count, and they found one shovel missing. And nobody would admit to having, having taken the shovel or having lost the shovel. Or, uh, it couldn't be accounted for anywhere. And the guard who was in charge of them got infuriated. He got enraged. 
And he took out his gun and he said he was going to kill every one of them. They didn't tell him who had stolen the shovel. And one man finally stepped forward and said it was me. And the guard took a shovel and before all of their eyes, he beat the man to death. And so they carried him uh, back to the next tool count. And you know what? When the tools were counted again, there was no shovel missing. He hadn't taken the shovel. He just knew that the enraged guard was going to kill the others, so he stepped into the breach. He became a substitute for them. That's what Jesus did for you. And listen, it wasn't just a global thing. It's a you thing. See, we don't relate to God as, on a, as a global deal. We, you know, we don't get in line and wait for God to hear our prayers. When you pray, you expect that the Almighty God is listening to little you, sitting in your seat wherever you are, kneeling in your home wherever you are. And you know what? When it comes to your sin, he knew all of your sin. You see, he made him to be sin for us. He took our sin upon his shoulders. That's love like we can't imagine. But it says this also about him. It says, who knew no sin. Can you imagine never having known sin? Can you imagine never having done one thing in your life that you regretted? Never having the burden of anything wrong that you'd ever done on your shoulders. That was Jesus. Jesus had absolutely nothing to regret. He had nothing to look back on and be sorry for. Everything that he had ever done was right and true. He had no sin. Now, how do we know that? Well, even his accusers found him not guilty. Um, Look at me at some of the things that were said about him. Look at John chapter 19, verse 4. Let's read from verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put upon him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto, unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. This judge, having examined Jesus and scourged him to appease them, I find no fault in him. I can find nothing wrong that he did. Um, look at Matthew 26, verse 59 through 60. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. We're in verse 59 of Matthew 26. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow uh, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Well, he was, and he did. (laughs) But they could find nothing against him. You see, 
He was without sin. When Christ hung on the cross, the Roman, the Roman centurion cried out, truly, this was the Son of God. See, the Lord Jesus Christ could say, which of you convinceth me of sin? He could look at the crowd and he could say, point out to me my sin. Because he had lived a sinless life. He had to live a sinless life to be our Savior. See, if Jesus could have been found guilty of one sin, he couldn't have died for you and me. He'd have been dying for himself. But they couldn't find one sin that Jesus had committed. There was nothing wrong uh, that he had ever done. He knew all about sin, but he just never did it. He knew all about sin. He had had been there. Uh, He lived in a sinful world. He knew men. He knew women. He dealt with them. He interacted with them. He forgave their sin, but he never entered into sin. In Matthew chapter 4, we see him um, tempted by Satan himself. Now, I realize everybody in this room has been tempted, and probably all of us at some stage have had, you know, uh, a demonic uh, temptation. But I doubt very much that anybody in this room has ever had Satan himself come and tempt them. That would be a fearsome adversary. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. It wasn't just the end. What we find in Matthew chapter 4 is we find the, uh, the, the final temptations, the final shots fired at Jesus. But he was tempted sore through those 40 days. And even after that, it says that the devil left him for a season, so he kept coming back. He kept coming back to tempt Jesus. He kept coming back to derail him, to to knock him off. But he never once sinned. He never gave in to him. You know what? I think that would have made the cross all the harder, wouldn't it? Listen, it's hard for us to suffer when we do wrong, isn't it? We don't like it. We don't like, you know, <clears throat> you know, a policeman gives you a ticket because you've done something wrong. You don't like it. You know, rarely do you rejoice in your heart. Now, you ought to, but rarely do you, do you rejoice in your heart. You feel bad about it. That's your just desserts. You did wrong. But you don't like it. You know, <clears throat> you get a reprimand at work. You get a reprimand in school. Maybe in the men's home, you know, you, 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 know, you, you get written up or something. And you don't like it. And we hate having to pay the price for our sin. You know, writing the check to pay the price for a, for a ticket, that's the hardest piece of writing you ever do, isn't it? But Jesus paid the price for sins he never committed. Your sins, my sins. And as holy and as sinless and as pure as he was, he bowed under the weight of all the filth and vileness of humanity. That was put upon his shoulders. And he did it willingly. Now, why did he do that? Because he loved you. That's why. There's no other reason. You don't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. He didn't get a bargain. He didn't go to the cross thinking, you know what? Those people at LifeGate, they'll be a bargain. They'll be a good deal. You weren't. He went to the cross because he loved you. He took your sin upon him because he loved you. That's the only reason. He was made sin for us, although he knew no sin. Although there was nothing in him that 
the enemy could hold. Now back to Second Corinthians chapter 5. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me ask you, what does it take to get to heaven? We say forgiveness of sin, don't we? But forgiveness of sin doesn't get you to heaven. Righteousness gets you to heaven. You see, forgiveness of sin alone doesn't do it. You have to have righteousness. Be ye therefore righteous, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is righteous. Jesus said to the, uh, to the crowd, he said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall no wise enter into heaven. That you need righteousness. In other words, you need to be holy. How holy? As holy as he is. You see, there's nothing of sin going to enter into heaven. God's not going to have anything of sin in heaven at all. Nothing of sin. And you know, <clears throat> you and I come with our 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 lives that have been tarnished by sin, you know, that have been smeared with the filth of the world, with, with, with our lives that, you know, are far from perfect, and we want entrance into heaven? You say, well, my sins are forgiven. Yeah, your sins are forgiven, but that doesn't give you righteousness. You probably heard the illustration. Imagine that, <clears throat> you know, um, you owed 5 billion euros, and they were about to put you in prison for the 5 million euros that you owed. And uh, somebody came and they said, look, I'll pay it for you. And this man had enough money to write your check for 5 million euros. Well, you'd be very happy because your debt was paid. But do you know what? You'd be destitute. You'd have absolutely nothing except your debt paid. When it comes to getting into heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just take our sin upon his shoulders. He didn't just forgive our sin. He gave us his righteousness. He took us under his wing, as it were. He cloaked us in his righteousness so that when you and I stand before God in heaven, we're coming in as Jesus people. You're coming in as somebody whose sin was paid for by Jesus and cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. It's like a coat that's been put on you that makes you look like Jesus to the Father. You know, they say that when, a, when, a <clears throat> when the mother of a, of a lamb dies, another mother won't take the lamb. She'll reject it. It's not her lamb. But what, they, what, a, what a shepherd will do is he'll, he'll take a, a lamb <clears throat> uh, that's died and the mother has no lamb and he'll take a lamb that's alive and what he'll do is he'll skin the dead lamb and he'll put the skin of the dead lamb on the other mother's lamb and the mother will sniff it and accept it as her own and feed it because he's cloaked in the skin of her lamb. You, that you've been cloaked in the skin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that when you go to heaven, you're going to go to heaven not because you've earned it, neither before nor since you've been saved. You're going to go to heaven because Jesus paid the price for your sin. You're going to go to heaven because he was made sin for you. Though he knew no sin, 
and you were given his righteousness. What a deal. (laughs) How can it be? How can it possibly be that we get caught up in something as good as this? How can it possibly be that this resurrection day we get to rejoice with the children of God because our sins paid for and we've got righteousness and he did it all for us and he did it for love. If you were to charge us something tonight, you'd have to say, name your price. Whatever in my life you want, you can have. But you know what he says? No charge. There's no charge. But you know what? It is reasonable that having been given a gift as costly, as expensive as that, that we should give our hearts to him. That's reasonable. You know what? If that's reasonable, then you know what? It's unreasonable not to. It's unreasonable for you, a blood-bought child of God, not to give your life to him. You're, you're being unreasonable. You're being ungrateful, shall I say. You're being mean and low not to give your life to him. You're missing it. If he gave himself for you, then Paul says, it's reasonable for us to give ourselves to him. Here tonight as we come to the table, it would be wonderful for us to come to the table with hearts that recognize, you know what? He died for me. I belong to him. Whatever he wants, I'm going to give. It would be wonderful if we would come to the table tonight and let his great love for us stir in us a love for him that would actually motivate us through our lifetime. That's what it's intended to do. We love him because he first loved us. You know, the Lord's table is a love feast, the celebration of his love for us. That's what it is. Celebration of his love for us. But you know what the response to that love is? It's for you and I to say, Lord, we love you too. And when you love, you give. For God so loved the world that he gave. When you love, you give. So if we come to the table tonight and... We let his love stir in us a love for him. Then what we're going to do is we're going to give to him. Whatever he wants. Simple as that. Just whatever he wants. When would you do that tonight? No invitation. No hands raised. No stepping forward. Just between you and him. Say, Lord, whatever you want. I surrender all. Whatever you want of my life, Lord, it's yours. You can take it. You can have it. Lord, I'll I'll do whatever you want. I'll live whatever way you want me to live. I'm yours, Lord. Just show me what you want from me. I wonder would you say that tonight? Because you know what? That would be the proper response to Resurrection Day. For you to give yourself to him, lock, stock, and barrel. And you know what? 
be the best investment you ever made to give yourself to him. He's earned it. He won't force it. But he asks it of you. Will you do it tonight? Let's bow and have a word of prayer, and then we're going to go straight to the table. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you, Lord, for this people that have come, and we thank you, Lord, for a wonderful time spent singing your praises. And Lord, we look to the table now, and we ask you, Lord, would you bless? Would you step into this time, and would you draw our hearts to you, Lord? May it not be that we in any way, Lord, go through the motions now. But Lord, may it be that the table is precious to us because it's the picture of your great love for us. And Lord, may there be a response in our hearts, Lord. May we yield ourselves to you. May we give ourselves to you. Lord, may we not be so ungrateful, so unreasonable as to hold our lives our own and not to let you have them all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.